eat it that night, but we were planning to eat it throughout the week. We were probably going to eat it three or four times. It was just when it started to get cold. There's a time for chili, right? That time might be coming upon us. It might not be this week, uh, but that time's coming upon us here. So we made this, this really big pot of chili that we were going to eat on for three or four days. Well, we ate it the first night, and it was good. Compliments to the chef. But then when I woke up the next morning, I realized my mistake. You know what I did? Left it out overnight. Forgot to put it in the refrigerator. This big pot of chili was left out overnight. Well, when I got up in the morning, I sat down at the table, the breakfast table, with one of my roommates who was also living in the dorm, and I told him what I did. I told him the mistake that I made and how I was probably going to end up getting in trouble for it. And his question out of anything he could ask, the question that he asked me is, why did you do that? Why did you leave out the chili overnight? Oh, I, I did it on purpose. I wanted to ruin this entire bowl of chili that we enjoyed the night before. No, of course, I didn't do it on purpose. It was on accident. I'd completely forgotten about it, but I, I didn't even really know how to answer that question. Why'd you leave it out? Why, why'd you leave the chili out overnight? The way the story ended up is me going to the store that afternoon to buy more stuff for chili, and to make some more, and we enjoyed it for the next three or four days. But when you think about living life, especially maybe if you're living around kids, maybe even if you're living around adults, a question that you're going to hear a lot is the question, why? Why did you make this decision? Why didn't you make this decision? Why did you choose to do it in this way? Why does this particular thing work in this particular way? The question, why, is a question that we hear all the time, Tonight, I want us to ask a why question. From Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, why do we pray? What's the reasoning behind that? What's the purpose behind that? Before we dive into that question, though, maybe we need to think about this one. Maybe this is a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we pray? Is that a part of who we are? Is that a part of the way that we choose to live on a daily basis? Is it a part of our routine? Do we have time set apart in our day where we follow Jesus, what Jesus commands in Matthew chapter 6 to go in the inner room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in the secret place? Jesus says the way that will turn out every single time is that your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do we have those periods where we spend time in prayer? I shut the door and it's just me and God. And I'm going to talk to Him, have a conversation with Him over the next few minutes. Or do we have those prayers throughout the day where it's just constant little prayers? Kind of like what you read from Nehemiah where he's just constantly praying to God as he's going about his daily routine. I think before we even touch the question, why do we pray? A question we need to think about, a question we need to evaluate in our own lives is do we pray? Is that a part of who we are starting right here on these toes? Maybe some of us need to do a better job with that. Maybe some of us aren't praying like we should. Our prayer life is not as strong as it should be. We don't talk to God as much as we should. We don't live up to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. Not meaning that you're just constantly in prayer 24-7, but you're constantly engaged in prayer. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your lifestyle. It's a part of your routine. So do we pray? 
Is that a part of who we are? And then we can move forward and we could go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. A question that we asked about a month ago. How do we pray? And as Paul writes out that first prayer for the Ephesians at the very end of Ephesians chapter 1, we thought about how we should pray, what our prayers should look like. Then we can move to the question, why do we pray? What's the reason? What's the purpose that we approach our Father in prayer? As we've done several times in our study of Ephesians, as we've been walking throughout this letter together, let's ask that question to the Apostle Paul. Paul, why do you pray? Why is that so significant to you? Why is that so important in your life? And I believe that's a question that he's going to answer for us here in the last part of Ephesians chapter 3. One of these last few sections before we transition into chapter 4 where the book becomes a lot more practical. Why do we pray? Notice what Paul says. He says, for this reason. That's a phrase that Paul uses throughout Ephesians to introduce prayer. To introduce the prayer that he's writing out on behalf of the church at Ephesus. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15, notice he begins that section by saying what? For this reason. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Verse 16, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul starts out the prayer that he writes out for the Ephesians, the first prayer that he offers for them, in Ephesians 1 and verse 15 with this same phrase, for this reason. Then you go over to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 1. You find this phrase again, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. When you come to the end of verse 1, it looks like Paul's about to write out another prayer on behalf of the Ephesians. Like he did in chapter 1, it seems like he's about to talk about how he prays for them on a regular basis. But then as he oftentimes does in his letters, and as I sometimes do in, in my daily life, he goes off on kind of a side tangent in verses 2 through 13 and talks about his ministry among the Gentiles, his stewardship of the mystery. We talked about that two weeks ago. Paul's role in talking about how the Gentiles are now members of the same body. They're fellow heirs alongside of the Jews. They are partakers of the promises that are available in Christ Jesus. So we see the phrase in chapter 1 and verse 15, then again in chapter 3 and verse 1, but then when we come to the first phrase of our text tonight, verse number 14, we find it for the third time. Paul circles back to what he started in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, and he says, for this reason. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul's telling us, this is why I pray. He says, here's the reason why I bow on my knees before the Father. It's kind of interesting to note Paul's posture in prayer. Paul says when he talks to God about the Ephesians, when he prays on their behalf, he bows down on his knees before God. Of course, that demonstrates humility. It demonstrates submission. Paul falls down on his knees as he enters into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you look throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, just as kind of a side note, you find a lot of different postures for prayer. People pray, as far as their physical bodies go, in a lot of different ways. 
We usually, whenever we pray, we bow our heads. Well, that's just one of the ways that we find in Scripture. Sometimes people would bow their heads. Sometimes they would stand up. Sometimes they would sit down. Sometimes they would lift their eyes up to heaven. Sometimes they would extend their hands with their palms outward. That was a symbolic way of saying, God, I'm coming to you, and I need you to fill these empty hands. I need you to fill my empty life. Sometimes people would pray laying prostrate on the ground. Have you ever... It was a few years ago now, the planking challenge, where you would plank and face to the ground and body full out behind you. That's what it looked like to be prostrate. We see Jesus praying like that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The point is, when you look throughout Scripture, whether they're bowing on their knees, whether they're bowing their heads, or whether they're gazing up into the heavens as they talk to God, I think what we see throughout Scripture is that God is not so concerned with our physical posture of prayer But what he is concerned with is the condition of our hearts. What he is concerned with is the conversation that's going on with him. Whether that conversation is out loud, or whether it's just inside of our minds, like we find from Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, as long as we're being reverent, as long as we're being respectful, God doesn't care as much about the posture of our bodies. He cares about the condition of our hearts. And so Paul says, let me tell you why I bow on my knees before the Father. Let me tell you why I talk to God. Let me tell you why prayer is so important to me. Number one, Paul says he prays because of who God is. He prays being motivated by the one who he's talking to. A realization of his identity. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Well, who's the Father? Tell me a little bit more about him. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I believe that description of the Father in verse 15 points to his omnipotence, that he is all powerful. He's the one who is sovereign over his creation. God created all things, therefore, he's the ruler over all things. Whether we're talking about things in heaven, or whether we're talking about things on earth, God is the Father from whom every family derives their name. Think about it like this. If you paint some kind of portrait, you get to give that portrait a title. You get to name that portrait. Why? Because you created it. You're the one who painted it. If you go out and buy a pet, you get to name your pet. I got to name my beagle Sandy. Some, so Joel, Joel was asking me at lunch today if, if that was a true story. That's a true story from this morning about our dog being sold and us not realizing it for two weeks. That was a true story. We got to name her Sandy. Why? Because she belonged to us. God is the Father. He's the one who created all things. He's the one who's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He's the ruler and sustainer of His creation. Therefore, He is the one from whom every family, whether we're talking about things in heaven, whether we're talking about things on earth, He is the Father from whom every family derives its name. He is the ruler over all things. So that's where it starts for the Apostle Paul. That's where prayer starts in his life, in his heart, in his mind. Paul bows his knees before the Father because he recognizes who's he, who he is talking to. Paul bows on his knees before the Father because he knows who God is. God is omnipotent. He's the ruler. He's the creator. He's sovereign. He is the Father from whom every family derives its name. That's why Paul prays. Why do we pray? 
Do we pray with the realization of who God is? Do we pray realizing how great He is that we're entering into the throne room of the One who is all-powerful? Number two, Paul prays for the Ephesians in verses 16 and 17 to be strengthened with power. If you look midway through verse 16, he, this is his request on their behalf, that He, God the Father, may grant you to be strengthened with power. The Ephesians know, just like we know, that sometimes life can be really hard. Sometimes life can be really difficult. We get weak. We feel like we can't keep going. We feel like we don't have any more strength, that we've completely ran out of power. And so as Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, I want you to know that I'm praying for you to be strengthened. I'm praying for God to empower your life. And he says a few different things about that. First, he says, I want God to strengthen you with power according to the riches of His glory. Well, there we are back with God's nature. There we are back with God's character. He's a God of glory. He's a God of excellence. He's a God of great majesty. And so Paul says, according to His excellence, according to how glorious He is, according to how majestic He is, according to the riches of His power and glory, I'm asking for Him to strengthen you with power. How? How does God do that? Verse number 16, through His Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit. We've mentioned the Holy Spirit a couple of different times in our study of Ephesians. If you back up to chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, demonstrating that God owns us. We belong to Him. In verse 14, He is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance. In other words, how do I know that I'm going to spend an eternity with God? How do I know that He's going to pay that inheritance in full? He's given me a down payment. His Spirit who dwells within me individually and dwells within the church collectively. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 22, the very last verse of that chapter. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God dwells in His people through His Spirit. Here we find something else about the Holy Spirit. We find something else about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. How He's active in our lives as followers of Jesus. The Spirit is the agent through whom God strengthens us. How does God empower us? He empowers us to live for Him on a daily basis through or by His Spirit. Oh, okay, good, because I'm really feeling tired physically, I'm a little bit sick, I'm a little bit stuffy physically, and so I need God to strengthen me with power physically. And Paul says, no, we're not focused on the physical here. We're focused on the spiritual. According to the riches of His glory, Paul says, I'm asking God to grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, the ESV says, in your inner being. In step with the prayer that we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, and in step with really the book of Ephesians as a whole, Paul is not focused on the physical in this prayer. He's focused on the spiritual. I'm asking God to strengthen you with power in your inner spirit. I'm asking for God through His Spirit to strengthen you in your heart, in your mind, to strengthen you spiritually, as opposed to being strengthened physically. What's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of that request? Well, that's what you find at the beginning of verse number 17. He says, I'm asking this so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. 
It says, I'm asking for God to strengthen you with power when you feel weak in life, when you're going through difficulties in life, when you feel like you can't put one foot in front of the other so that Jesus will live in you, so that He will dwell, so that He will make His home in your hearts. Well, Jesus is going to do that even if I don't want Him to? Last two words, that phrase in verse 17, through faith. He says, through the faith that you're placing in Him, through the trust that you're placing in Him, and through the obedience that you're submitting to Him, I'm asking God to strengthen you with power in the inner man, in your inner being when life gets difficult. That's why Paul prays. Why do we pray? When was the last time that one of us made a request like that one? To be strengthened with power through the Spirit. Number three, Paul prays for the Ephesians to live out first and then to know the love of Jesus. The love that Jesus has for them. Let's start with that second word first. He prays for them to live out the love of Jesus. In verse 17, In the last part of that verse, the last half of that verse, he uses a metaphor from agriculture, and then he uses a metaphor from construction to talk about how he's praying for them to live out the love of Jesus. First, Paul says, I want you to be rooted in Jesus' love. What does it mean to be rooted in something? Imagine a tree. How a tree spreads its roots down into the soil. And when it spreads its roots down into the soil, unless something catastrophic happens, that tree is going to stay there. And it's going to thrive. And it's going to continue to grow. Paul says, I want you to be rooted in the love of Jesus. I want you to spread your roots down into Jesus' love. The love that Jesus has for us is the soil in which we are to spread our roots. And once I spread my roots, this is where I'm going to stay. I'm not leaving, but I'm going to continue to grow. And I'm going to continue to draw nutrients from the love that Jesus has for me as I produce it in my life on a daily basis. Then he says, I want you to be grounded in Jesus' love. That's an illustration, a metaphor from construction. Just like they would build houses on, and ground houses or buildings on top of a foundation. He says, I want you to be grounded in the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is the soil in which we spread our roots. The love of Jesus, the love that Jesus has for us, is the foundation on which we build our lives. That's the foundation on which we build everything else, the great love that our Lord has for us. So he says, first, I'm praying for you to live out the love of Jesus. I want this to be something that's seen in your life. Spread your roots in His love. Build your house on the foundation of His love and stay there. But then he says, number two, into verse 18 and verse 19, I want you to know the love of Jesus. Paul says it this way, that you may have strength There's the second time we see that word. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ. Paul prays for the Ephesians that every day they'll come to know the love of Jesus more. 
That they'll come to comprehend more about the love that Jesus has for them. It's like, it's like they're viewing a structure. That this love that Jesus has for them has been built in front of them. And He says, I want you to know how tall it is. And I want you to know how big it is. I want you to know how wide it is. This great love that Jesus has for you. Will they ever understand it fully? We keep reading in verse number 19. He wants them to know the love of Christ, but then notice what he says about it, that surpasses knowledge. Doesn't that say something about how much Jesus loves us? Doesn't that say something about how deep and how rich his love actually is? Paul says, I want you to know more about Jesus' love. I want you to understand it. I want you to comprehend every single day more about how much Jesus loves you, but then realize you're never going to get it fully. Now, you can take a look at it. You can look, as Paul says, at the breadth, length, height, and depth of Jesus' love. You can understand more about it, but you're never going to know it in its fullness. It is beyond knowledge. It surpasses our ability to know. It's kind of like this. You can know that the ocean is seven miles deep at its deepest point. Pretty deep water, isn't it? Seven miles deep. But raise your hand if you've ever been seven miles deep in the ocean what I thought. I was hoping nobody would raise their hand because, it, well, you wouldn't be here if you went that deep. You can know that the ocean is seven miles deep, but we've never, we'll never know it fully because we've never experienced it. We've never been to the bottom of the ocean seven miles below the surface. And it's the same way with the love of Jesus. We can know it more. We can understand it better. We can comprehend it in more powerful ways, but we're never going to know it fully. We should appreciate that. That that's how much Jesus loves us. That's the kind of love that our Savior has for His people. Why does Paul pray? Number three, he prays to live and to know the love of Jesus. Is that why we pray? Is that why we bow on our knees before the Father so that we can live out and know the love that Jesus has for us? And then I think number four is kind of a conclusion to everything that Paul says in this section of Scripture. He prays for the Ephesians to be filled up with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God refers to everything that God is. Everything that He is in His nature. Can you see? We started with who God is, and now we're coming back to who God is in verse 14 down to verse 19. The fullness of God refers to Everything that He is in His nature. Just like you would take a cup and fill it up with water. Paul says, I'm praying that you will be filled with everything that God is. That your life will be filled to the brim. That your life will be running over with God's nature and with God's character. What are some words that you would use to describe God? There's a lot of different words we could use. Right? A lot of different words that Scripture uses. We could talk about love. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. We could talk about His power. We could talk about His justice. We could talk about His holiness. Paul says, whatever words you would use to describe God, I want those same words to describe you. He says, I want you to be filled with everything that God is. Who He is in His nature. Who He is in His character. I want that to fill up your life. Why? Do we pray? Paul talks about why he prays. 
He talks about the reason why he bows on his knees before the Father. Why do we? Are we motivated by God's greatness? Is that where it all starts for us? Are we praying to God because we recognize who He is, His power, His sovereignty, His greatness? Are we praying to be strengthened with power in the inner man? Are we praying so that we can live out and know the love that Jesus has for us? Are we praying so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God? If you were to take your most recent prayer and to put it alongside of this prayer that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 3, what would be the similarities and what would be the differences? Do we pray? How do we pray? Why do we pray? As we close in application, I want to ask just a few reflection questions. Number one, as we look at this prayer, are we praying with the spiritual focus? It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't mention anything physical in this section of Scripture. He's not praying about physical health, wealth, or well-being. He's praying about spiritual health, spiritual wealth, spiritual well-being. Contrast that with how we oftentimes pray. Many times our prayers never make it past the physical, do they? We pray for people to get better who are sick. We pray for safety and protection. We pray for God to bless our food before we bow down to eat. None of those are bad things. We should pray about those things. But do our prayers ever make it past the physical to focus on the spiritual? To focus on those things that really matter? Are we praying to live out and know the love of Jesus? Are we praying to be strengthened with power? Are we praying so that our lives will be filled to the brim with everything that God is in His nature and in His character? Are we praying with the spiritual focus? Number two, are we praying spiritually? Are we praying with the spiritual focus for one another? Again, it's interesting that Paul never mentions himself in this prayer. The only thing that he says about himself is that I bow my knees before the Father and this is the reason why. From that point, his prayer is completely focused on his brothers and sisters in Christ. Those Christians, the saints, who were located in Ephesus, who were faithful in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Many times our prayers never make it past self. Even when they're spiritually focused, sometimes we only pray for ourselves, for our immediate family, or for our closest friends. When was the last time you had an entire prayer where you didn't mention me, but you talked about your brothers and sisters in Christ? When was the last time where you prayed a prayer that was completely focused on them? Not that I would have these things, but that they would have these things. That as the collective body of Christ, we're going to be able to live in this way. That we, as brothers and sisters, will be strengthened. That we will live out and know the love of Jesus. That we will be filled with everything that God is as we go out and live today. Are our prayers spiritually focused? Are we praying spiritually for one another? And then one that makes a difference. One that shows us where we should start. Are we motivated by God's greatness? Paul's not praying out of a sense of obligation. He's not praying because he has to. This is not a 
a last resort. This is not a last ditch effort for the Apostle Paul. No, Paul says in verses 14 and 15 that he's praying because he knows who he's talking to. He's praying, being motivated by God's greatness, His omnipotence, His sovereignty, how He is the King who rules over everything, whether it be in heaven or whether it be on earth. Is that where it starts for us? Maybe sometimes we pray because we feel like we have to. Maybe sometimes we pray because we don't know what else to do. We've, we've went through our other options and now prayer is the only thing that I have left. I want to suggest to you the reason that we bow on our knees before the Father is because we know how great He is. We know how awesome He is when we truly recognize the greatness of our God. How could we not fall on our knees before Him? How could we not talk to Him with a spiritual focus about things that really matter with those people who matter most in our lives? Those who love us just like Jesus loves us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do we pray? I want to challenge you to spend some more time with this text this week. And I hope this will encourage all of us to have conversations with God tonight to have conversations with God throughout the rest of the week that are spiritually focused on our brothers and sisters in Christ, prayers that are motivated by knowing how great God actually is. It's a blessing to be a part of the Lord's church, isn't it? Where we can pray for one another, where we have this avenue to God through Jesus. If you're not a part of the church tonight, if you've never made the decision to be baptized into Jesus, or, or maybe you've strayed from that. You once made that decision and it's not who you are right now. We'd love to help you in that. You know, there's not any shame in, in saying I need prayers. There's not any shame in saying I'm struggling. Nobody's going to judge you here. We love each other just like Jesus loves us. So if you have any needs before we go throughout another busy week where we encounter temptation and difficulty and trial, then we're here for you. We'd love to go to God on your behalf if you give us the opportunity as we stand and as we sing.